No, but I, I, I now I, sw- I started saying something very simple now rather than overcomplicating it. But I'm like saying I like I'm telling people who know how to make things what they should make. Welcome back to the Big Run. Today's guest is Patrick Stangby. Patrick grew up in the suburbs of Oslo in Norway. He's a creative director who works closely alongside brands to tell a story and communicate with their audience. He's also an accomplished runner after taking up the sport following his first marathon in 2016. He's often found in the trails in Norway, hoovering up vert and pushing himself physically, taking on the UTMB CCC in 2019 and again this year in August. In this conversation, we talk about the simplest definition of what he does for a living, Norwegian food staples, technical outdoor wear as a reflection of our times, and that sometimes ultra running is just plain hard. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to welcome Patrick Stangby. Patrick, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Really excited to to learn a little bit more about you and about your work and your relationship to, to running. But I, I normally do like a quick kind of Instagram deep dive, normally in the sort of 10 minutes whilst I'm waiting to to log on to the call to talk to the guest. And there was a there was a statement I saw underneath your underneath your profile that said, live slow, stay fast. Can you kind of just talk us through a little bit why you've chosen to put that bit of text underneath your profile and, and how it relates to you as, as a person and as a runner, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think this probably transitions back to my education or to my studies and mm. the period just after, which is probably also relates to why I'm a runner today. But I think when I was young, I spent quite a lot of time working on myself on my own, say, like, like trajectory of life, what I wanted to get out of life, who I wanted to be like how I wanted to relate to other people, how how I was like having a conversation and how I lived. Mm. And I was like getting along quite well. I felt like I was like having a decent pace of my life. I was ambitious. I was doing good work. I was studying. I was like, yeah, working while I was studying. So I was quite happy with how I saw myself, my stress level or anything. But then I started like actually having like a more corporate job, let's say out of school. And um, I realized that like didn't really matter how much I had worked on myself when people who were my managers and people around me, they were the ones in charge of my well-being. Mm. And most companies today, they are not set up for the well-being of the employees. They're set up to like increase the revenue for the shareholders. Mm. So I figured out, okay, like it doesn't really matter if I'm being super, I mean, I was not super zen about anything, but I was like having a good pace or good understanding of my own desires and my own needs. And I was normally able to deliver on those at least to a certain extent. But I realized like, yeah, I'm actually not living alone. I'm a part of a community and I need to like maybe like also help others and build more like a story or like something that makes more sense to them. So I started running probably my first, I did my first marathon when I was 26 and Mm -hmm. I started running. I mean, I was always very active as a person when growing up, I was snowboarding, skateboarding, free ride, mountain biking. Then I was like, even when I studied, I didn't do any of those activities that much, but I was like a very casual runner. I was going to the gym five times a week doing some yoga, doing some strength stuff. I was like, just in average being active. 
But then I started running more because I was quite stressed out at work, like when I was like 25 or something. Mm. So I started like doing for the first time, I did like a half marathon in a training run or just like I needed to get out for a few hours and have a place to process and just like be with my own thoughts. I mean, we are recording this now. I'm recording on my MacBook. I have my iPhone next to me. I mean, it's like constantly Mm -hmm. available. Also with my line of work, people expect me to be constantly available. So as I for running, for me, it was probably at that point some sort of escape, but I don't necessarily think it was an unhealthy escape. Uh, and it also gave me a lot of perspective on some things. And as I said, like before that, I was already quite into like eating well, cooking, preparing my own food, being said, like, I don't like the word healthy, but I mean, at least probably what people would uh, like, at least put in the box of being healthy or trying to be considerate, at least with what you consume and how you eat and eat well and enjoy but also I mean seeing also food as fuel to a certain extent so I didn't feel like my life was anymore in that sort of direction so Mm -hmm. running probably helped me to redirect and that's also like the reason for the bio and to be fair like I'm not always good at living slow I mean people are in my work demanding a lot of me all the time So I also wish I could live a bit slower to run a bit faster right now. But I think I'm running fast enough right now for what I need to do. And I also feel that I need to do some of the work I'm doing because I'm not necessarily always doing it for myself. I'm doing it to be a part of a bigger conversation and to help push a story that I think has to be told. What is that story that you want to tell? I mean, I think in general, I'm very interested in movement. And I'm interested in movement, both physically, but also intellectually Mm -hmm. in our culture. And I think right now, I mean, I don't want to start off being too political because also I think it's like today we have too many opposites. People are like just building on polarities. Media Mm -hmm. is building even more on polarities because that's what people are clicking on. So I know currently we have a war. I mean, Mm -hmm. and just recently, the other week in America, there's like abortion laws or Mm -hmm. laws for women are becoming increasingly more difficult to live with for most women Mm. then we also have like we had quite progressive understanding or not even that progressive but at least the rules and the laws were going in the right direction also for lgbtq people Mm. but then we see a resurgence especially in eastern europe but also other places in europe that uh, their rights are not being the same as they used to be five ten years ago even I think there is like a society is being regressive rather than progressive right now. And I was always about movement in a progressive direction. And I think same with the environment right now. We are really struggling. But um, Mm. I mean, the last UN climate report wasn't looking very good. But fortunately for the people not believing in it or not caring, it came out the week after the war started in Ukraine. Mm. So it didn't maybe get the attention it needed either. So I think for me, like by maybe promoting or having people being spending more time in nature, you will care more about nature. But you will also, if you do, if you choose at some point to do like ultra distance, whatever, if it's like true hiking, trail running, being on a bike, I don't really care. You will discover something about yourself. And I think most people come out on the other side being better human beings. Mm. And maybe not all of them, but that's why I want to promote what I think is an important story. And I think most people would be better human beings and live better lives if they took better care of their own mental health and physical health and 
also manage to maybe be like see more stuff, like see more art, even if you're like a person that truly belongs in the mountains. I have a lot of friends who are like real mountaineers. They don't care about a lot of other stuff in society. I mean, sometimes go and see a movie which you find a bit provoking that you makes you question some things. I think like too many times people are also just interested in seeing stuff they enjoy or stuff they like. Mm. It's like and it's like it's too easy to live that way, you know. Sometimes you need to do stuff which is a bit difficult and also like long trail races are very difficult. Mm. So and there are some aspects that you'd enjoy in the, doing those races. So maybe also try to keep that mindset for other stuff in your life. It's like maybe you're not always enjoying something, but maybe you you learned something and you came out on the other side being a better human being. Mm. Is that is that something then you're, you're actively sort of seeking out then as as a kind of creative as well as, because I love that kind of crossover to, to, the, to the running side of it, particularly with the ultra distances of a kind of seeking the discomfort and what that can show you as a runner, but culturally as well, are you kind of, yeah, going uh, reading stuff or, or watching stuff or going to kind of art galleries with works that you know will be challenging you to kind of stimulate a, a reaction that you can react to creatively. Yeah, I think so. I think, but I think I was always in general as a human being, I was very curious. I think if, mm. if I have one word to describe myself, it's probably like, I don't think I have any immense talent in any way about anything. And I don't find myself very special in any regard, but I think I'm very curious. But I think a lot of people are very curious and some people were more curious when they were children and then, their line of work or whatever they do, like take away some of the curiosity or even they are just in the end, they don't have the energy to be curious. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I think I was just like in general curious to try to understand like how we are living currently right and now. And also I think in terms of culture, I mean, we have like a lot of things which people find interesting, like say like movies, music, art architecture but i think also food to me is very interesting because food is right here and now it's like so contemporary it's something that is very fast to prepare compared to a lot of these other things it also takes less money so i think to, if you really want to understand your contemporary society look at food and look at the differences in food between different countries and you might start to realize What's their priority, right? Mm, that's a really interesting idea. I mean, like case in point with with where you're based, Oslo, Norway. I mean, what does the kind of culture of food there kind of what kind of impression does it leave you of the people of Norway, the, the your, your people, like where you're from? Like, what's the kind of yeah the the cultural takeaway from from Oslo, Norway, food wise? Yeah, I think uh, I might piss some people off, but I mean, it's like Norway is a quite like now people know okay, it's a quite rich country today, but it's a quite young country overall. And in terms of money or the situation right now, it's a very young society. So we don't really have a Norwegian. I mean, we have some Norwegian ingredients, but we don't really have a Norwegian cuisine overall. We have some few dishes, but people are not really cooking Norwegian. So it's also a melting pot of different cultures and different food. And I think people are willing to absorb that. But I don't think they're always willing to absorb it because they are that adventurous they're just willing to absorb because maybe their own heritage wasn't that great so maybe they could have been more proud in terms of yeah what was there but i mean for example we have a lot of fish we have great fish and mm -hmm. you can find great fish fish in oslo and some people are really good at preparing fish at home but for example something like uh, bacalao or like or like dried fish we don't really utilize that in our culture i mean people cook and cook the like portuguese like the Spanish version or people cook like an Italian version or doing something, but we don't have a, our own take on that really. 
So I think maybe there's also something about Norwegian culture, which is like it's very proud into on some aspects of the culture. So like related to sportsmanship, mm. related to like a few different industries. But maybe I like our food culture is still to be developed over time. As soon as we maybe start looking more inwards and not only looking outwards mm. for references. That's really interesting. I'd never thought of that idea of yeah, if you're not sort of taking full pride and and, and uh, admiration for your own kind of food staples. I mean, are there any kind of Norwegian stable staples that you'll tuck into before a, before a particularly challenging long run? Yeah, I mean, I really love one, one ingredient I love, though, which is very Norwegian. And I mean, people here used to live on either meat, fish, carrots and potatoes. That was what they were normally cooking or able to mm. cook like 100 years ago or 150 years ago. But I really love potatoes. I think potatoes for a while, I mean, People, many people were talking about this low-carb ideas about, like, it's like, okay, I want to lose some weight, so I'm not eating potatoes anymore. Mm. And I think in general, this like it's processed food that is the problem. Mm. I mean, if you eat a- anything with high quality and from scratch and you cook it, you can eat whatever, and especially if you're a runner. But I really love potatoes in general as a Norwegian staple. And I think it's like, if you know how to cook potatoes properly, they are... They are fantastic. I love that. So speaking of speaking of running, I mean, where are you at now with your kind of running journey? Because I mean, you so yeah, you started in 2016, first kind of marathon experience, but you've progressed quite rapidly in taking on some some pretty epic challenges, UTMB, um, sort of Paris to to London kind of ultra sort of challenge that I saw on your on your Instagram uh, uh, as well. And just going back to something you said earlier, like you were. You were saying that even when you were when you were studying, you were you were working on yourself and you were working. And there was like a drive and a focus there that I, I slightly picked up on. Is that has that bled into your to your running? Like are you I mean, we talked just before we started rolling about some races that you've got coming up in Iceland. Like, are you quite focused when it comes to running? Like is it is there a competitive side to you as well as kind of appreciating all the other things that it does does for you in terms of mental health and, and well being generally? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, I'm quite competitive as a person. Mm. And it's like, if I do something, I put effort into it. Mm. So, and I think, I mean, I started running my first ultras in 2017. I think I saw some videos of those, like it was probably, I think it was Tim Tollefson, it was uh, Zach Miller, and it was uh, like David Lainey. They were all at the Nike team at the time and they did a UTMB. I think the video was from 2016 or something. And I was like very spectacular. Maybe like it was a bit like uh, too much maybe in terms of my storytelling. Mm. <laughs> but I really enjoyed that video and I thought those guys were crazy. And I just like, I'm not sure I can even do anything like that in, uh, one day, but I would love to do that because the scenery looked amazing. So then I started preparing for a 50K and I did my first 50K in the spring of 2017. And I had a really good friend at the time who was like a pretty, like he was a good ultra runner already, had done it for a few years. And when I met him, I didn't know anyone doing ultras. So I was like something I read about online at that time. And he showed me, he said like, okay, but I think you can do an 80K already. I was about to wait with 80Ks, but I did one then end of August, 2017. And then I was like hooked immediately. I was like, okay, that's my distance. Or like, I prefer that slightly longer stuff. What was it about that longer stuff that got you hooked? Like, I think, cause for some people that would be like a real kind of crossroads moment of like, actually, no, that's, that's too much for me. What was it about that? 
that particular sort of going past that point that that really I think it's something with the pace though and I mean it sounds strange probably if you're running half marathons or 10ks that 80k for me is like 80k is a kind of middle point it's like if I run a 40k or a 50k I can go pretty hard all the time Hmm. it's like I can really be pushing for say whatever it takes me like five hours three hours like three hours to five hours and then when it's the longer stuff and it's more mountainous and it has elevation as well, I think it becomes quiet more. Um, it's more about like managing your pace and you're never really feeling like you're having a very high effort. Do you go places as well, like mentally when you're going through those kind of experiences? Is that also part of it for you of like kind of seeing and testing your resilience mentally as a runner? Yeah, but I mean, I think also at this point, I'm quite comfortable with racing. I did, mm. I'm did. i not sure how many I did, but at least say like in the years after I did like three, four, 80Ks and I do sometimes even in training like a 50, 60K. I'm so also like, it's not like an 80K at this point is not able to really transport me to many places. So I think like, like talking about runners high or all these topics, mm. I think it puts you in a certain kind of... I mean, it's about also about rhythm and pace. And I think what I'm finding in trail running or ultra distance is like you are. Lo- I'm looking for a certain kind of flow. Mm. That's what like I'm a sort of not necessarily a flow state, but you're just looking for a flow. And you know that when you find that kind of flow, of course, you will have some ups and downs in a long race. But like you're able to just keep that kind of flow also mentally. I think that's for me like really exciting or I enjoy it. Like I'm very happy the days I'm able to go out and spend like 10, 15 hours in the mountains. Mm. I really love that stuff. I'm really happy and grateful I'm able to do it. So of course there is moments during those days where you question why you (laughs) chose to do it. But I mean, I really love it. So I just have to live with the fact that I, I know that I, in the end, I love it and I enjoy it and I, find a lot of pleasure in doing those kind of activities. And I read in a, a previous interview that you, the running for you is an affirmation of your closeness to nature is, I mean, like putting the two side by side, because you started with, with marathons is if you had to choose one, would, would you lean more towards trail because of how it connects you to nature or do you still have a bit of a soft spot for road running? No, I mean, in general, I, I also like, I think there's a huge separation, at least in Oslo between road runners and trail runners. Mm. And I'm just a runner. In winter, I run a lot of road because the, I, mean, I still run trail in winter, but I cannot do everything on trail in winter. They're full of snow and it takes forever. Mm. So I need to do some slightly faster stuff on road as well. But for me, for example, like now we are entering like high summer. I, I have no intention to be running a lot of road right now. Mm. So if I was preparing for a marathon, it's like I need to prepare for a winter marathon because I'm not willing to sacrifice being out on trails in summer for having a PR on uh, a road marathon. Mm. So probably like, I mean, that's something like my affinity is closer to the trail or the nature. Mm. And I think also with longer stuff, I mean, I never did a hundred K on road, but I just assume the fact that you are out in nature, you find some other kind of motivation in your surroundings than if I was running like hundred K around three blocks in a, capital city and just previously you took you to mention a little bit earlier about sort of work so for people people listening who might not be familiar with you like what is what is work for you and how do you bring like your love of running and movement to, to the work that you do with like working with brands and helping them sort of tell stories yeah i mean sometimes i question to explain even to my family what i do for a living <laughs> so, but it seems to be working out okay so 
No, but I, I, I now I, sw- I started saying something very simple now rather than overcomplicating it. Mm. But I like saying I like I'm telling people who know how to make things what they should make. Okay, is that is that the explanation that you would give to like a like a five year old or something like the kind of children's? Yeah, version? but to be honest, not even a five year old. Probably even my uncle or my grandfather at this point as well. Because okay. I mean, I think it's like. Right now, I think I have more the role of, uh, say, creative director. Mm-hmm. And it's very complicated for... To, or no, it's not because the work is so complicated in the end. For me, it comes very easy. But I think it's complicated to explain to people who have a very, like, they have a very, like, their job is based on facts or, like, they're doing a certain thing in a certain way or they're an engineer or whatever. But mm-hmm. I work also with a lot of engineers. So, I mean, I am able to explain people what I do. But uh, a lot of my work, I would say, is based on my understanding of both, say, like the market, but maybe also a given sport or if it's not sport, it's like a certain angle or perspective. And then it's to like spend a lot of time doing research on that angle, perspective, sport, or if it's even a given product, and then to consolidate some sort of understanding or perspective into an idea about what should be created a certain story that has to be told or something else Mm. so i mean yeah i think that's and then normally through that some i work with another team on creating product a lot of the time uh, but then also sometimes creating just a concept and then someone else is eventually creating a product and then that product might differ from what I initially thought was needed, but at least hopefully what I provided in terms of input was giving someone like more clarity or new perspectives in terms of what they wanted to do. Mm. It's really interesting that thing, because I know you, you studied economics as well as um, like brand and, and marketing and stuff. And that thing of you said earlier of looking at the market as part of your kind of process when you are like venturing down like perhaps with a new company or a new brand or a new product, like What's that that balance for you creatively of like having to have an awareness of the market and where trends are going and what people are kind of leaning towards whilst also kind of wanting to stay true to yourself as as a creative as well and not being too too swayed by the market, if, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think I have been very fortunate in order to work with companies or I chose to work with companies. I have a close sort of affinity with the offering of. Mm. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that like probably I could have said yes to do that kind of consultancy or work, which wouldn't have made any sense to me besides maybe if I actually needed that job at that moment in time. Mm. But if I was lucky enough to have other stuff to do, I'm happy to do other stuff that sometimes maybe like it's paying less, but it's more rewarding in terms of output. Mm. And sometimes um, it's like, it might be the same with another company or a bigger company, but I think it's like, sometimes you you look at the market because I mean, we are living, we are a community and especially say if it comes to running, you need to be aware, like you have your own desires and needs, but be aware of the needs that people around you have as well. And then maybe you choose to not necessarily like, I mean, you don't need to give them everything they always want if you don't agree with what they want. And sometimes as well, I mean, there's always this sort of analogy when it comes to, say, especially something like the the Walkman at the time it was mm. made. And then it was the iPod and other things. Like people don't know that they wanted to walk around with their music on their ears mm. like because they didn't think it was a possibility. And I think with some of the gear we are looking at, it's like the market is quite set. It's like, 
you don't need a lot of things to go running. If you're in the mountains, you need quite a lot of stuff in the end, especially if you want to be safe and you want to be racing. There's a quite long list of mandatory gear. Mm. But uh, I mean, I don't like probably like, someone will like invent the product that we, none of us today think we actually need, but then it will enhance our running experience at mm. some point as well. I think if you want to be like a true innovator, you still need to understand what is going on, but you need to take your own perspective. And if you have an idea, just go with it, but find a way that you think it can resonate with the, your community and people around you mm. and not only with you and uh, three other friends. I love that idea of, yeah, that the, the iPod, the Apple, I think is a classic example. So many of their products have kind of filled that sort of perfect spot of something that you never thought you needed until it came along. And then it's the most perfect thing ever. But I mean, are there things within the kind of running sphere of gear and product that perhaps you, you can see sort of coming down the road that, you know, to, to, to sort of your everyday consumer, they, they'd be like, no, I don't need that. But actually five years from now, it will be sort of the most sort of natural thing in the world to, to have as part of your arsenal as, as a runner. Yeah, I mean, I am. I cannot reveal everything here yeah, now. Yeah, no, I'm not asking for trade like, secrets. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's also. I think there's a few things, and especially, I think it resonates at least with like a lot of stuff today is based on archetypes. Mm. So let's say it's like a running shoe is based on the idea of what we have seen being a running shoe in the past, say, thirty years, mm. and then that, that also relates to other products and other categories. It's like, for example, the running vest we see today. That comes from a ski mountaineering vest. Mm. And I mean, ski mountaineering is done in winter. Mm. It's quite cold. I don't think the running vest, for example, is completely optimized for warm weather at this point. Um, I have some ideas on how to do it. I'm not working on that currently right now, mm. but I think we will see some new ideas also enter. I also think for a lot of outerwear, for example, like say, say just like the idea of a jacket is based on the fact that like especially jackets for the mountains, so say like a running mountain jacket, maybe waterproof. Mm. It's based on the idea of a jacket that is also supposed to be worn with a trouser. And mm. normally say you are might be running in some shorts or some half tights or even tights. So that's not really like the jacket was based on an archetype, which mm. is suitable for a jacket trouser combination. And I think there's like these things are, of course, quite abstract when you talk about them in that way. But yeah, I mean, I think there is quite a lot of things to still be explored uh, when we move away from the archetypes and we look into the like the actual needs that we have. And maybe, I mean, I think there was, if you look at like early 2000s, there was this sort of like maybe too heavy future optimism trend. Mm. Like especially brands like Oakley, they made like snowboard jackets where you had to take the cords all the way through and you could click on like your sleeve and you'd put up the... I mean, you could uh, increase the volume on your headphones through clicking on your sleeve. Mm. Maybe some of these things were too excessive, but there is also some sort of like beauty. And right now this moment is coming back with this sort of like young kids having a nostalgia about this era where everything was super future optimistic. But I think there was some ideas that was explored in that time, which was interesting just for the fact that people were not settling in on the current state of what a jacket had to be or what a running shoe had to be. I think we will still see a lot of things happening. I mean, I think we start to see already with running shoes, especially for me, I was running a lot in very minimalist trail shoes mm. because I was interested in saving weight and like thinking about performance and everything should be very minimal. 
But now we see some of the people who really push that movement. They are even running in shoes with a lot more cushioning than they used to previously. I think there's still a lot of stuff to happen. It's interesting that thing that you talk about with the Oakley jacket and it can control the the, the headphone volume because I know, I forget the name of the company now, but that new company that's basically made up of lots of ex-Apple employees that are working quite heavily on sort of wearable technology stuff that you either wear on your face or wear on your body and stuff. Like, do you think there'll be a bit, a bit of a crossover with like kind of wearable tech kind of bleeding into fashion and kind of running performance? Like, I don't know, like a, a Garmin that you can kind of wear over your face that integrates with your with your fabric that can maybe read your body temperature or something like that do you think like that that's that's a sort of evolution of it maybe yeah it seems i think it's quite a far it's further down the road uh, than we're hoping for at times Mm. just knowing fabric development and how things are going i mean i I mean just seeing like last weekend there was western states 100 this Mm. 100 mile endurance uh, race in California, which for me, I'm super scared of. I never even entered the lottery because I'm not managing that kind of feat very well. Mm. But if, for example, if I had tools in terms of like fabrics that were cooling me down or it's like tools to on my body that could help me like get rid of excess heat in a new way, I think that's very beneficial. And I think eventually we will see those things. I mean, just if we go back, like when we started using wool, even in winter, that was to regulate temperature, right? Mm-hmm. And now we are more advanced in terms of technology, even though wool is still great, I think. We will see fabrics eventually, which probably can help you, yeah, help you with some of these things. It's very exciting. Humane was the name of that company that I was thinking ah, of. Yeah, yeah they've, they've, they've basically got the entire development staff from Apple that have come over to this company and they've registered various patents for very exciting kind of wearable um technology but it's interesting you talk about the the fabric technology because obviously that's the that's the kind of the workhorse of any any garment are there are there things down the line in that respect like stuff to do with temperature control or or things that are coming down the line that we're likely to see uh, on runners in the future I don't think for now, to be honest, and there's quite a lot of like even, I mean, even there's a lot of compounds which are blocked by big companies and probably it will take five, 10 years before anyone does anything with some of that stuff. As in what they've sort of, they've kind of patented it or kind of copyrighted it. Yeah, or they have like maybe made like they have made some sort of agreement with the company who's already starting to do this, that they will use it down the line. So they, but they are already testing everything and they want to make sure before they put things to market. And uh, so I think it will take some time, but I think what we start to see already is this idea of uh, more circular or regenerative synthetics. Mm. So I know that, for example, like now there is uh, nylons made out of like castor bean oil mm. and other things which are slowly entering the market for now, maybe in like higher end brands. Uh, but also, I mean, I'm really interested in like stuff that is derived from nature, but then like done in a modern synthetic. So it can be biodegradable as well, because I think as an industry, we have to become circular. It will probably Mm -hmm. take some time, but I think more efforts should be spent in the way of becoming circular. I mean, I'm quite fine. Like I think nylon, for example, is much better than polyester because Polyester is really bad, and in running we use a lot of polyester. Mm. Nylon is more expensive, and but it's able to be recycled. People say in like forever, but in the end, every time you recycle something, you lose a part of the component. So it's like I'm not sure with nylon right now for any given product, but say that if you recycled it 
15 times there is no product left it's like so you need to even even that is not fully circular so i think we need to find solutions and for me it's like i'm running short maybe i can keep for 10 years or whatever it's like i think it's like most people change those things because they're not happy with what they bought and they mm. want to change uh, rather than the fact that they need something but for me i'm like very cautious when it comes to my running shoes mm. and i mean i'm i run through quite a fair amount of shoes but i I've been logging everything and trying to realize and understand why something is not working, why is, why it is working when it is working. Mm. And especially for my trail shoes, I now, I mean, I'm now mostly running in shoes which can last for quite a long time. And sadly for me, but also maybe on the positive note, I am working with what I'm working with. So I'm not always a good example on the amount of products that like passes through my wardrobe mm. or through my apartment but i mean that's my field of work as well but i'm always being very cautious with if i don't need something or i don't wear it and i might keep it for a reference or for my work for a short amount of time i'm very happy to hand it over to a friend or to someone who actually needs it more than me so i think we should all be wary of that i mean i don't think it's a cool thing to say like oh you know i currently i own 25 pair of running shoes mm. because in the end you don't need 25 pairs yeah, 100%. And there's something lovely about having like the, the dream of having a garment or a pair of shoes that you have like a story with. So if you did own a pair of shorts or a pair of shoes for 10 years and just like they almost take on a character. Like I love there's like a certain certain like bits of running garment that I have that I've had for maybe not 10 years, but they've got a longevity to them. And I know that they have memories connected to them with, with, with races as well. And I like the idea of like... Um, yeah, stuff having a, a story connected to it as well as, you know, being good for the environment as something that you wear and you keep for as, as long as humanly possible. But it feels like it feels like footwear in particular, like it feels like they I, I feel like I burn through them so, so quickly. I mean, is there is there material and technology that hopefully is going to sort of address that when it comes to footwear, do you think? Yeah, I think people are really trying already. So to address some of it and yeah, I think some people are doing quite well already as well. I mean, I know there's uh, initiatives going on to maybe resole a lot of the shoes, but yeah. for now, the issue with how production is done is that for most people, it would be more expensive to resole their shoes mm -hmm. than to buy a pair of new ones. So from a consumer standpoint, maybe it doesn't make too much sense as of now. Uh, but I think there's, there's a lot of stuff being done. I mean, I think there's some brands also, especially in the trail running space who spent a lot of time and effort on their uppers. So because normally I break through the uppers mm. and I would in the past years, I would have a lot of trail shoes, which I might like, I mean, I might run through them in like in average, like six, 700 kilometers. Then like if something just lasts five, like four or 500, I think it's way too little. And I would mm. maybe stop using that model or that brand. Uh, but now lately I've had shoes which last for more than 1000 kilometers or even more. And even if those shoes happen at times to be a bit more expensive, in the end, if you make the calculation, you're paying less per mile or per kilometer. So I think it's like, but maybe then if you're someone who really always wants to like show up on the group run having fresh shoes, then maybe not that that's not the shoe for you. But I mean, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm happy to have some stuff which looks worn out. And I think also sometimes like it adds to your sort of like not aura or personality when I see this like, 
I'm running with some guys who are a lot older than me and they show up in like a Boston Marathon t-shirt from uh, I love 1997, that. you know. I want to buy that stuff. I have no access to that yeah. stuff. Oh, I would I, love to buy it. So It's so funny, actually. It's so funny you say that. I love that. I love that sort of, the, they're almost like battle scars in a way, the kind of oh, yeah. the old running stuff. So this evening I'm I'm going to my, my local club to train on the track and the guy who leads the session, absolute legend, Ron, He's like an OG running coach. He's, he's, he's retired now. He's sort of in his, in his sixties, but he has these incredible, like really old, um, like jackets from like the London marathon from like the late eighties and the early nineties with like all the old school kind of sponsors on and stuff. And I just, just the look and the feel of that, but the stories as well that are connected to that. I kind of love that, that visual aesthetic, I think is so much more, um, uh, attractive to me as a runner because of the kind of legacy that's connected to it with something that's perhaps so box fresh and thinking of this idea of, of aesthetic because it feels to me with the kind of limited kind of fashion um, uh, knowledge that I have that the running aesthetic has changed or is changing sort of over the past couple of years because I think when people think of running and the sort of running fits that have existed, perhaps the uh, the fashion police might have been called on some of the looks that have been sported by runners over the years. But it feels like with a lot of brands that are that have arrived recently, like people like Saw and Satisfy, kind of spring to mind that there's a there's a different aesthetic that's coming through. Like, and someone in your position who works with brands and, and curating like images and stuff like that, like. Where do you think that's come from? Where the where do you think the lineage of that kind of new aesthetic is, and, and where where do you think it's going? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, for me, it's I think it's a positive thing because mm. still, I think running is a quite inclusive sport. I mean, people used to say like you can just need a pair of shoes and you can go out and start. Mm. But I think maybe in terms of image, is like especially in the seventies, there was this huge wave of jogging in America. Mm-hmm. It was a very like white upper middle class sport. Uh, and then you have like track and field. And so people like who even like they went to school, they did running in school. It was something competitive. But for a lot of other people, I don't think like the image of running didn't necessarily resonate with them or they couldn't place themselves within the framework of that image. So someone like, I mean, a lot of like running campaigns from even the 90s is just like maybe doesn't resonate with someone who used to be a skateboarder or used to do this thing or like they have a different perspective on who they are, right? Mm. I think even though it's like some of this new product in the market as well, like I'm wearing some of it, not everything of that is completely who I am as a person, but I think it's bringing something to the table in terms of like telling a different story and opening up the market uh, to tell people that basically anyone can run and you don't have to look a certain way. There is also more opportunities to keep or bring your personality or even create a new personality mm-hmm. while you are running. And then also maybe there's like some, maybe it's also like what happened in cycling, right? I mean, I'm working with some cycling brands and I think now soon 20 years ago, Rafa arrived and they made like something like very high end premium cycling apparel for people who spend a lot of time on their bike and spent a lot of money on their bike. And they wanted to also look good while on a bike or while off a bike after. Mm. And I think that's a bit what we are seeing in running. I mean, cycling had a lot of those other brands pop up recently, but also semi-recently. So now there's a bunch of cycling brands offering really premium stuff that people love to wear on a bike and also love to wear off a bike, at least some of it. And I think for running, there's an even bigger opportunity there because you're not wearing Lycra, which is super tight, 
Uh, so I mean, like you can wear something that is was made for running casually uh, as well. And I think that makes sense for a lot of people. So if their running gear makes them comfortable enough or they think it's cool enough, they're also happy to put on that windbreaker going out for a dinner, right? Or they might wear the shorts just like hanging out in the city or in the countryside. So I think that's like where it's opening up in terms of like maybe the colors are changing a bit, the fabrics are changing a bit. So people are more comfortable with wearing it in different uh, contexts as well. Mm. So and I think that's a very positive thing because then also like maybe maybe someone who is just interested in say the fashion aspect or thinks something is cool, they are opening up to wear some running gear and maybe eventually like maybe they're just buying running gear, but then might be that one day, one day they wake up and they realize they have all this stuff which was made for running that they should go on a run or at mm-hmm. least try it. So yeah. <laughs> and bring that person into the kind of running ecosystem as well and sort of see what kind of impression or or kind of uh what kind of mark they can leave on it as well. Like that's what I find the most interesting about um this new kind of wave of of different looks and feels is it's drawing more people into the sport who have different takes and different perspectives on it because they can now look like the person they feel like in terms of what they wear as as runners and whatever their other kind of cultural sort of touchstones are, that kind of bleeds into the sport as as well. And I think it's just it's just of a, a huge, a huge benefit um to the sport as a whole, the, the more kind of perspectives that we can that we can bring to it, I think is is really exciting. And just kind of carrying on on that sort of trajectory of of sort of fashion and certain aesthetics, because something else that when I think of with with you, Patrick, is is um outdoor gear, like the kind of utilitarian kind of outdoor gear and the sort of the rise in popularity of of that and the kind of logic and, and thinking behind why it's become so popular. And I was reading something that you said about your, your kind of rationale behind why, you know, it's becoming more and more popular is the, is it, it being a reflection of kind of the fear that we have maybe towards kind of climate fear or climate change or just general anxiety as to why people are becoming more sort of drawn towards getting, you know, the, the most toughest, outdoor shell that they can wear you know sort of very very expensive kind of uh utilitarian sort of top spec outdoor gear i mean can you kind of expand and open up that a little bit as to why you think that is and why people are leaning more towards that yeah i mean i think i also like that's the outer like edge of my angle or my take on it which i bet i think it resonates a bit and it's a bit funny to some people as well mm. but i think it's a bit like i mean you have a you used to have these kind of doomsday preppers, right? Who mm. already have a backpack ready with a kit. So if like if some shit goes down, yeah. they're ready to leave their house yeah. immediately. And I think it's like it's not really necessarily always playing on that notion, but I think it's playing in on the fact that we have more extreme weather now. We have like live in more climates where with different weather conditions than previously. And I think you I mean we are we saw at least in Norway we had quite like rough conditions to begin with. And there's some Canadian cities who always had quite rough conditions. And uh, people were more aligned with that aesthetic already in these cities. People were wearing expensive shell jackets rather than a nice coat. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something in it. And I think also for me, who has been moving in between those two spaces of, say, performance wear and what people like to consider fashion, it's that um, when you buy something that was made for a certain activity, it has normally been tested and validated. Mm. And it's made on purpose to serve uh, a certain function. 
but sometimes in fashion, people might make great product also in fashion, but many times you also pay for an experiment. They might mm -hmm. choose an expensive fabric and do something which is, has like very good intentions, but it's not always fit for the purpose. It might be that, say, you are we're buying, say, now you are buying a shell jacket uh, from an outdoor brand. You know that that has been tested and the waterproofness is actually there. Because if not, it might, uh, I mean, might change uh, if someone lives or dies in the mountain, if that doesn't work. And mm -hmm. same with the safety equipment for people working in like, like real workwear, right? Modern workwear for people on yeah, boats or people in like different... Uh, like crazy situations. Yeah. I think that's why people like that. You know that if you buy a fleece jacket from an outdoor brand, it will function as a fleece jacket, not only look like a fleece jacket. So you, you feel more like aligned with um, yeah, their take on that kind of product. So yeah, I think it makes sense that you would buy it from that kind of brand. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're, it toes that line. I think of, yeah, that it's, it's kind of, it's low hanging fruit for people to kind of maybe poke fun at of like, why do you need that? But I, I think there's something interesting in exploring that idea of why people are drawn to that feeling of comfort of knowing that this particular garment that they've paid for has that level of protection. I just think that's an interesting idea of like the security you feel in knowing that if it ever came to it, you might not necessarily find yourself in that kind of scenario, but if it ever came to it, you know, you'd have that sort of protection. I think that is uh, an interesting thing and it, it might sort of... Um, go some ways to explaining the kind of times we're living in at the moment that people feel like they need to be protected, you know, in case, like, even if you look at a lot of the, the kind of fashion editorials, looking at some of the images on your, on your Instagram before um, jumping on this, this call, like even the way that they're styled with the hoods fully closed over the model's face zipped up, you know, only eyes kind of exposed that kind of covering that protection thing i don't know maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm uh i'm going on a bit of a wild goose chase here but it feels like no, that's but kind I, of I speaking think it's right i think it's completely right i think it's an ongoing team and uh, i mean let's see if people can feel more happy and uh we can resolve this issue and maybe people are not buying very expensive shell jackets mm -hmm. to walk around the city center anymore because i think it's also like there's probably also some element of status in some of it mm -hmm. to be fair yeah like uh it's like it's product that can fit everyone, which is a great thing. So, but it's also everyone is able to appropriate or take it and just like show off. I mean, I had some brands I used to wear since many years and I'm not trying to be gatekeeping, but it's like I, I worn them because I needed the product. And then now I would show up to a meeting and someone is commenting, oh, you got an expensive jacket. It's like, yeah, I mean, I have other expensive jackets as well. So that's not the main, main point. Mm -hmm. And that was not my reason for wearing it. But it's like someone thinks that you bought some of this outdoor product now just to show off. But I mean, in the end, it has a use case and for a certain user. So uh, mm. I think that's maybe like the downside that some of the people maybe now acquiring and buying this product, they think it's only about price point. Yeah, it's a bit of a flex, isn't it? To sort of to, to wear it and sort of show that. But yeah, I think and I think it toes both lines. I think you're right. I think there is there is there is weight in both arguments. I think it has become a bit of a flex. But I just think that the initial draw towards it, I think, is um, is something quite interesting to to explore. But we've kind of got, gone off on a bit of a tangent there. But I always thought it was just quite interesting to uh, to explore that idea a little bit. So back to back to the running for you. I mean, What's next? I mean, are there challenges that you're taking on? Before we started this call, you were talking. There's a there's a race coming up in in Iceland that you're you're about to take on soon. 
Yeah, I'm going to Iceland in two weeks. I'm super excited about that. My Icelandic is terrible, so I'm not even sure how to pronounce the race. <laughs> so, but it's a 55k in uh, Iceland, which okay. uh, looks beautiful. This trail, I think it's a very traditional or known hiking route. So it uh, moves through four or five very different landscapes. So I'm super excited to do it, just even for the scenery. And yeah, I'm excited to do that with a friend. And then I'm staying around for a week because I have um, decided to do a bike gravel race, which I never did in my life. So, okay. but I think that's more for fun and to yeah bring some fun into it as well. Running has been very like I mean I enjoy running a lot and it's fun, but I'm also slightly competitive. So it's not to just do something more as an adventure. Hmm. And, um, yeah, then I'm getting back to Oslo, working another week, but uh, yeah going in full training camp mode, trying to spend a week in the north of Sweden, in the mountains there, training for the CCC during UTMB. So I'm racing that again, end of August. So okay. I will go from there, have two weeks on the west coast of the west coast of Norway, just like training in the mountains and enjoying. But uh, it will be a mix of uh, vacation and training camp, I suppose. Uh, the, no, the CCC, so you did that back in 2019. Now, CCC, like... Yeah. It, that's uh, that's what it's 101 kilometers, like 6,000 meters of elevation. But they st st still people call it like the little one. But it's still it's still pretty savage. It's still pretty still pretty uh, yeah, it's still pretty, pretty hard, meaty. So, how, how was it back yeah. in 2019? I had a great time in 2019. I mean, I probably did a few mistakes which I would like to correct, but I was in great shape. I mean, I was able to prioritize my running over most other stuff in my life. Mm. So it was. <laughs> was good for me and on that regard. So I was in really good shape. I think overall I'm stronger now. I had a few more years even with running and I think you need about seven, six, seven years. Everyone tell me with continuity in order to just like have the right muscle. Mm. So, but I was like having a really good time. I run in some fairly minimalist shoes. I would never do that again. I'm not talking super minimalist, but I don't think the terrain really needed that kind of shoes. So after like 60, 70 K, my legs were pretty trashed. So, but I was happy about the time I finished in just a, like a bit less than 15 hours. So I think I was like among a top hundred men or something like 96, 97. I don't truly remember, but I was like really good for me at the time. I think mm. in total, there was like 2,200 or 2,400 people entering the race. And I think to be honest, like on a good day where I'm at now, I'm running around like top five women or like normally seeing them a lot in the race if I have a good day. Mm. So I'm not super competitive in the men's field internationally. I mean, probably I could have been like if I wanted to or had opportunity to, but I mean, I also want to work with um, my creative work and mm. other things in my life. But I'm always, of course, questioning like weeks where I have, not enough time to run or traveling a lot for work, still trying to get in some runs, but not to the extent I could if I was just like solely focusing on running. Then I'm thinking like, okay, how would this life look right now if I was only running, you know, for two years? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's still this aspect where I'm like slowly thinking about, I mean, and not slowly because I did it, I do it every year. So I'm not sure if it will ever happen, but I'm still thinking like I'm 32 now, maybe when I'm 35, I will take one year and just like, go full in and see. That was going to be my question. Like if, if someone did offer you that opportunity to go completely sort of professional, would, would you take it? But that's something that you're considering. 
No, I mean, I, I'm, I don't think I would go professional if someone considered it to me. I would think I would have to consider it for myself yourself. in a way, like, mm. because I'm, I think, I mean, I also think sometimes I hear too much. I have professional friends who say like, oh, by the time someone pays you, it takes away a lot of the joy of the activity. Mm. And I'm like, okay, guys, I understand that maybe like try working really hard on something else for a few years <laughs> while trying to do your running. Then it's like, if it still takes away your joy in running, then maybe it's like, I'm not sure. Mm. Because people who have a job still manage to train quite hard. So, and then if training becomes your job, it shouldn't feel that hard. So yeah, but I understand there is pressure though, but I'm not really afraid of pressure. I have pressure in other aspects of my life. So I'm sure I could tackle a bit of pressure in my running for a few years. Mm. I just think it's interesting to see, I think, but that ties back to my curiosity in general. I'm just curious to see what I could do. Maybe I couldn't do that great even, but it's just curious to see what I could do. Mm. <laughs> and especially because I hope to do really, I hope probably from next year to do longer stuff again. I tried a few hundred milers. I never really got them correctly. So yeah, I'm, but I'm getting ready. I feel my body is more adapted to doing the longer stuff now. Do you have a time in mind? Would you like to beat that 14 hours and 54 minutes from? Yeah, yeah, really for CCC. Right where I'm right now, I'm not sure if I'm in, I think I was in better shape just now at that time in 2019. At least I was not as tired. I'm quite tired from work right now, but mm. I think I'm stronger. So if I have a really good summer now, I, I mean, I would really love to run less than 14 hours on a good day. Mm. I think that's quite possible. So let's see. But I mean, you need to have a good day. I mean, those mountains are not a joke. And especially if you don't live in mountains and you don't train, there's not really high altitude, but I think the issue I was tempting or I was really tempted to do the UTMB this year because mm. I think maybe the course profile is more suitable for me. Um, it starts in more towards the evening and then like the first, like first stretch is quite okay. Mm. But uh, the issue for me with CCC is that it starts with this like really long climb and I love climbing, but I most likely go out too hard like everyone else. And then you stay probably around average, like about 2000 meters. You stay for the, the first like four, four and a half hours. For me, you stay almost at an average of 2000. And I think running at 2000, you really feel it. You might not feel hiking or walking too much at running, but you start really feeling it once you're training or like putting in a race effort. Mm. So yeah, I, I'm like, I'm not still not sure if it's the correct course for me, but I love the race and I think it's beautiful. It's stunning. I love the people. I love the volunteers and I love the full atmosphere during the UTMB week. So for me, it's still like at any moment in time, if you ask me to do any of those races, I'm more than happy to do them. So uh, exciting, man. Exciting. Well, I, will, will you be putting your, your tracking details on your social media so people can follow along? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. For sure. Uh, well, I'll be checking out your, uh, your, your progress during that. So exciting. And, um, such an interesting and stimulating conversation with you, Patrick, as well. But before we wrap up, I normally ask at the end of each of the uh, of the interviews some sort of expansive questions, just out of curiosity to see how the guest interprets them. And on the subject of running, like, are there any myths out there within the world of running that you'd like to take this opportunity to debunk? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's something with the ultra, which maybe is not so optimistic, but someone says like, okay, if there's like a, there's always going to be an, some like um, battles in an ultra, but everything always gets better again. Hmm. But I don't think that's always the truth. I mean, I had ultras where everything went downhill and it went downhill from there. <laughs> 
So I think also it's like, it doesn't always get better. And I think you just need to prepare yourself. And I was listening to a podcast this morning with some people who did really well many times in 100 mile races. And you just need to be prepared that not everything is going to go according to your plan. And you will have some moments where you don't feel great. But that doesn't mean that you are not able to have a great race. But you will not, uh, like you will have really hard moments through a race. So mm, I love that. I love that. I love that sentiment. And like on the on those hard moments, like have there been any any particular sort of failures or kind of dark moments for you with running that have kind of taught you? Like you've like got lessons and stuff out of them. I used to cramp really hard because I realized after a while that I was sweating probably three times more salt per hour than the average. Mm. And I did some tests to figure that out because I was taking my tablets and stuff, but I realized I was not taking strong enough stuff. Mm. So, I mean, I had some realizations that, uh, yeah, during my races as well, that uh, yeah, I think it's like very important. It's the uh, sort of also like this thing everyone says though, but it's um, to run your own race is very important. And it's not always easy. If you're competitive, it's very hard. But try to listen to your own body and your own intuition, because especially in longer stuff, you don't win the race early on. You win it towards the end. If you have anything left in your legs, you can catch up to a lot of people. And it's easy for me to say, because sometimes I'm not, I'm usually in a local race in Norway. I'm not all the way in the front. We have a quite high level here, but I'm normally say like top five or top 10 even normally like say top five. So I'm also in the front, but it happens if I am going too hard that people are catching me towards the end. And a few times I'm all catching other people. But uh, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind because all the best races I ever had was when I was leading and I probably was the best. So I didn't have to follow anyone else's shape. Mm. Uh, because uh, if you try to follow the pace of someone that is better than you, you will struggle mm. after a while so try to run your own race i think it's uh, important and that means a lot of different things for different people but uh, you will figure out uh, along the road i love that run your own race and live slow and stay fast love that that feels like a lovely note to end our, our conversation on and i've yeah. enjoyed throughout like we discussed just before we started rolling is that sort of lovely ambient sort of background noise that you've also brought into this conversation of the birds tweeting where you are in oslo in norway patrick thank you so much for for coming on the show and being such a, a brilliant guest on the big run thank you thanks for having me A big thank you to Patrick for coming on the show. I'll link to his Instagram if you're interested in the kind of work that he does. And if you also want to track him as he takes on UTMB CCC in August of this year. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and for your continued support of The Big Rum. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Big Rum Podcast. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>